Hi, Mum. Reporting from the bed with a hot water bottle and my slipper socks on. Today was so much better than I thought, honestly. Everyone couldn't have been nicer and the hospital was amazing and it was a great first experience at the hospital, so now I don't have so much of a, a phobia of it, which is great. And since I had the day off, I thought I should make use of it and record episode 15 of the podcast. Do you find that lately you're enjoying your life a little too much? Are you waking up excited to start your day, feeling a sense of meaning and purpose to your life? Well, we have just the thing for you. Melon's Misery Box. Melon's Misery Box provides the injection of negativity and desolation that you have been longing for in your life. Every month, Merlin's Misery Box will hand-select items to boost your gloom and rejuvenate your frustration with the world. From a piece of Lego for you to step on, a carton of curdled milk for your morning coffee, a pistachio that's impossible to open, to an empty toilet roll for when you need it most, Merlin's Misery Box has got you covered. Merlin's Misery Box. Because to live is to suffer. Chapter 15. Me talk pretty one day. At the age of 41, I am returning to school and have to think of myself as what my French textbook calls a true debutante. After paying my tuition, I was issued a student ID which allows me a discounted entry fee at movie theatres, puppet shows and Fessyland, a far-flung amusement park that advertises with billboards picturing a cartoon stegosaurus sitting in a canoe and eating what appears to be a ham sandwich. I've moved to Paris with hopes of learning the language. My school is an easy 10 minute walk from my apartment and on the first day of, my, of class I arrived early, watching as the returning students greeted one another in the school lobby. Vacations were recounted and questions were raised concerning mutual friends with names like Kang and Vlatna. Regardless of their nationalities, everyone spoke in what sounded to me like excellent French. Some accents were better than others, but the students exhibited an ease and confidence I found intimidating. The first day of class was nerve-wracking because I knew I'd, I'd be expected to perform. That's the way to do it here. It's everybody into the language pool, sink or swim. The teacher marched in, deeply tanned from a recent vacation, and proceeded to rattle off a series of administrative announcements. I've spent quite a few summers in Normandy and I took a month-long French class before leaving New York. I'm not completely in the dark, yet I understood only half of what the woman was saying. If you have not mime slip or lip demurked at this time, then you should not be in the room. Has anyone abzuglechnikov? Everyone? Good. We shall begin. She spread out her lesson plan and sighed, saying, All right then, who knows the alphabet? It was startling because A, I hadn't been asked that question in a while, and B, I realised while laughing that I myself did not know the alphabet. They're the same letters, but in France they're pronounced differently. I know the shape of the alphabet, but I had no idea what it actually sounded like. Ah, the teacher went over to the board and sketched the letter A. Do we have anyone in the room whose first name commences with A? Two Polish Annas raised their hands, and the teacher instructed them to present themselves by stating their names nationalities, occupations, and a brief list of the things that they liked and disliked in this world. The first Anna hailed from an industrial town outside Warsaw and had front teeth the side of tombstones. 
She worked as a seamstress, enjoyed quiet times with friends and hated the mosquito. Oh, really, the teacher said, how very interesting. I thought that everyone loved the mosquito, but here in front of all the world, you claim to detest him. How is it that we've been blessed with someone as unique and as original as you? Tell us, please. The seamstress did not understand that what was being said, but knew that this was an occasion for shame. Her rabbity mouth huffed for breath and she stared down at her lap as though the appropriate comeback was stitched somewhere alongside the zipper of her slacks. The second Anna learned from the first and claimed to love sunshine and detest lies. It sounded like a translation of one of those Playmate of the Month data sheets and the answers all were always written in the same loopy handwriting. Turn-ons, mom's famous five, famous five alarm chili. Turn-offs, insecurity and guys who come on too strong. The two Polish Annas surely had clear notions of what they loved and hated, but like the rest of us, they were limited in terms of vocabulary and this made them appear less than sophisticated. The teacher forgot on, for, sorry, the teacher forged on and we learned that Carlos, an Argentine bandonian player, loved wine music and in his words, making sex with the women's of the world. Next came a beautiful young Yugoslav who identified as an optimist, saying that she loved everything that life had to offer. The teacher licked her lips, revealing a hint of the sadist that we would later come to know. She crouched low for her attack, placed her hands on the young woman's desk and leaned in close, saying, Oh yeah? And do you love your little war? <coughs> While the optimist struggled to defend herself, I scrambled to think of an answer to what had obviously become a trick question. How, how often is one asked what he loves in this world? More to the point, how often is one asked and then publicly ridiculed for his answer? I recalled my mother, flushed with wine, pounding the tabletop late one night, saying, Love? I love a good streak, a good steak cooked rare. I love my cat and I love... My sisters and I leaned forward, waiting to hear our names. Rennies, our mother said. I love Rennies. The teacher killed some time, accusing the Yugoslavian girl of masterminding a programme of genocide. I jotted frantic notes on the margins of my pad. While I can honestly say that I love leafing through medical textbooks devoted to severe dermatological conditions, the hobby is beyond reach of my French vocabulary and acting it out would only have invited more controversy. When called upon, I delivered an effortless, an effortless list of things that I detest. Blood sausage, intestinal pâtés, brain pudding. I'd learned these words the hard way. Having given it some thought, I then declared my love for IBM typewriters, the French, water, the French word for bruise, and my electric floor waxer. It was a short list, but I still managed to mispronounce IBM and assign the wrong, wrong gender to both the floor waxer and the typewriter. The teacher's reaction led me to believe that these mistakes were capital crimes in the country of France. Were you always this paclimrexics? Even a fruxeticlexumcum knows that a typewriter is feminine. I absorbed as much of her abuse as I could understand, thinking but not saying that I find it ridiculous to assign a gender to an inanimate object, incapable of disrobing and making an occasional fool of itself. Why refer to Lady Crackpipe or Good Sir Dishrag when these things would never live up to all their sex implied? The teacher proceeded to belittle everyone from German Eva, who hated laziness, to Japanese Yukari, who loved paintbrushes and soap, Italian, Thai, Ju Dutch, Korean and Chinese. We all left class foolishly believed that the worst was over. She'd shaken us up a little, but surely that was just an act designed to weed out the dead weight. We didn't know it then, but the, but the coming months would teach us what it would look like, 
what it would be like to spend time in the presence of a wild animal, something un completely unpredictable. Her temperament was not based on a series of good and bad days, but rather good and bad moments. We soon learned to dodge, to dodge chalk and protect our heads and stomachs whenever she approached us with a question. She hadn't yet punched anyone, but it seemed wise to protect ourselves against the inevitable. Though we were forbidden to speak anything but French, the teacher would occasionally use, use us to practice some of her five, five fluent languages. I hate you, she said to me one afternoon. Her English was flawless. I really, really hate you. Call me insensitive, but I couldn't help but take it personally. After being singled out as a lazy kipfrichum, I took to spending four hours a night on my homework, putting in even more time whenever we were assigned an essay. I suppose I could have gotten by with less, but I was determined to create some sort of identity for myself. We'd have one of those complete these sentences exercises, and I'd fool with the thing for hours, invariable setting on something like a quick run around the lake. I'd love to, just give me a moment while I strap on my wooden leg. The teacher, through word and action, conveyed the message that if this was my idea of, of an identity, she wanted nothing to do with it. My fear and discomfort crept beyond the borders of the classroom and accompanied me out of the wide boulevards. Stopping for a coffee and asking directions, depositing money in my bank account, these were things, these things were out of the question as they involved having to speak. Before beginning school, there'd be no shutting me up, but now, but now I was convinced that everything I said was wrong. When the phone rang, I ignored it. If someone asked me a question, I pretended to be deaf. I knew my fear was getting the best of me when I started wondering why they don't sell cuts of meat in vending machines. My only comfort was the knowledge that, that I was not alone. Huddled in the hallways and making the most of her pathetic French, my fellow students and I engaged in the sort of conversation commonly overheard in refugee camps. Some time may cry alone at night. That be common for I also, but be more strong you. Much work and someday you talk pretty. People start love you soon, maybe tomorrow, okay? Unlike the French class I had taken in New York, there was no sense of competition. When the teacher poked a shy Korean in the eyelid with a freshly sharpened pencil, we took no comfort in the fact that unlike Hai Yoon Cho, we all knew a regular past tense of the word to defeat. In all fairness, the teacher hadn't meant to stab the girl, but neither, neither did she spend much time apologising, saying only, well, you should have been Vikiju Mung Kifuluf. Over time, it became impossible to believe that any of us would ever improve. Fall arrived and it rained every day, meaning that we would now be scolded for the water dripping from our coats and umbrellas. It was mid-October when the teacher singled me out, saying, every day spent with you is like having a caesarean section. And it struck me that for the first time since arriving in France, I could understand every word that someone was saying. Understanding doesn't mean that you can suddenly speak the language. Far from it. It's a small step. Nothing more, yet its rewards are intoxicating and deceptive. The teacher continued her diatribe and I settled back, bathing in the subtle beauty of each new curse and insult. You exhaust me with your foolishness and reward my efforts with nothing but pain. Do you understand me? The world opened up and it was with great joy that I responded. I know the thing that you speak exact now. Talk me more. You plus please plus. So that was the end of chapter 15 and because it was so short, I thought we'd read another chapter. So this is chapter 16, Jesus Shaves. And what does one do on the 14th of July? Does one celebrate Bastille Day? It was my second month of French class and the teacher was leading us into an exercise designed to promote the use of one, our latest personal pronoun. Might one sing on Bastille Day, she asked. Might one dance in the streets? Somebody give me an answer. 
Printed in our textbooks was the list of major holidays, accompanied by a scattered arrangement of photographs depicting French people in the act of celebration. The object of the lesson was to match the holiday with the corresponding picture. It was simple enough, but, they, but seemed an exercise better suited to the use of the pronoun they. I didn't know about the rest of the class, but when Bastille Day eventually rolled around, I planned to stay at home and clean my oven. Normally, when working from the book, it was my habit to tune out my fellow students and scout ahead, concentrating on the question I'd calculated might fall on me. But this afternoon we were veering from the usual format. Questions were answered on a volunteer basis and I was able to sit back and relax, confident that, this, that the same few students would do most of the talking. Today's discussion was dominated by an Italian nanny, two chatty Poles and a pouty plump Moroccan woman who had grown up speaking French and had enrolled in the class hoping to improve her spelling. She'd covered these lessons back in the third grade and took every opportunity to demonstrate her superiority. A question would be asked and she'd race to give the answer, behaving as though it were, this, it were a game show. And if quick enough, she might go home with a tropical vacation or a side-by-side -side refrigerator freezer. A transfer student by the end of her first day, she'd raised her hand so many times that her shoulder had given out. Now she just leaned back and shouted out the answers, her bronzed arms folded across her chest like some great grammar genie. We'd finished discussing Bastille Day and the teacher had moved on to Easter, which was represented in our textbooks by a black and white photograph of a chocolate bell lying upon a f on a bed of palm fronds. And what does one do on Easter? Would anyone like to tell us? It was for me another of those holidays I'd just as soon avoid. As a rule, my family had always ignored the Easter celebrated by an, our non-Orthodox friends and neighbours. While the others feasted on their chocolate figurines, my brother, sisters and I had endured epic fasts, folding our bony fingers in prayer and, and begging for the end to the monotony that was the Holy Trinity Church. As Greeks, we had our own Easter, which was usually observed anywhere from two to four weeks after what was known in, this, in our circle as the American version. The reason has to do with the moon or the orth Orthodox calendar, something mysterious like that. Though our mothers always suspected it was, a, it was scheduled at a later date so that the Greeks could buy their marshmallow chicks and plastic grass at drastically reduced sale prices. The cheap sons of bitches, she'd say. If they had their way, we'd be celebrating Christmas in the middle of goddamn February. Because our mother was raised a Protestant, our Easters were a hybrid of Greek and the American traditions. We received baskets of candies until we grew older and at Easter the bunny branched out. Those who smoked would often awaken to find a carton of cigarettes and an assortment of disposable lighters, while the others would receive an equivalent, each according to his or her vice. In the evening, we had a traditional Greek meal followed by a game in which we would toast one another with blood-coloured eggs. The symbolism escapes me, but the holder of the table's one uncracked egg was supposedly rewarded with a year of good luck. I won only once. It was the year my mum died. My apartment got broken into and I was taken to the emergency room suffering from what the attending physician, physician diagnosed as housewife's knee. <laughs> the, Italian nanny was attempting, <laughs> the Italian nanny was attempting to answer the teacher's latest question when the Moroccan student interrupted, shouting, Excuse me, but what's an Easter? It would seem that despite having grown up in a Muslim country, she would have heard it mentioned once or twice, but no, I mean it, she said, I have no idea what you people are talking about. The teacher called upon the rest of us to explain. The Poles led in charge to the best of their ability. It is, one said, a party for the little boy of God who call himself Jesus. And, oh shit, she faltered and her fellow countryman came to her aid. 
He called himself Jesus and then he died one day on two morsels of lumber. The rest of the class jumped in, offering bits of information that would have given the Pope an aneurysm. He died one day and then he go above my head to live with your father. <laughs> he weared up himself the long hair and after he died the first day he come back for say hello to the peoples. He nice, the Jesus. He make the good things and on the Easter we be sad because somebody make him dead today. Part of the problem has to do with the vocabulary. Simple nouns such as cross and resurrection were beyond our grasp. Let alone such complicated and reflexive phrases as to give yourself to your only begotten son. Faced with the challenge of explaining the cornerstone of Christianity, we did what any self-respecting group of people might do. We talked about food instead. Oh, I just realized my microphone was very low. I hope that you were able to hear it. Easter is a party for to eat of the lamb, the Italian nanny explained. One too many eat of the chocolate. And who brings the chocolate, the Easter said. I knew the word, so I raised my hand. The rabbit of Easter, he brings the chocolate. A rabbit, the teacher, assuming I'd used the wrong word, positioned her index fingers on the top of her head, wriggling them around as though they were her ears. You mean one of these, a rabbit? Well, sure, I said, he come in the night when one sleep on a bed and then when he... With a hand, he have a basket and foods. The teacher sighed and shook her head. As far as she was concerned, I had just explained everything that was wrong with my country. No, no, she said. Here in France, the chocolate is brought by a big bell that flies in from Rome. I called for a time out. But how do the bell know where you live? Well, she said, how does the rabbit? It was a decent point, but at least a rabbit had eyes. That's a start. Rabbits move from place to place. Well, bells can only go back and forth. They can't even do that on their own power. On top of that, the Easter Bunny was, has a character. He's someone you'd like to meet and shake hands with. A bell has the personality of a cast-iron skillet. It's easy. It's like saying that, come Christmas, a magic dustpan flies in from the North Pole, pole led by eight flying cinder blocks. Who wants to stay up all night so they can see a bell? And why fly one in from Rome when they've got more bells than they know what to do with here, right here in Paris? That's the most implausible aspect of the whole story. There's no way that the bells of France would allow a foreign worker to fly in and take their jobs. The Roman bell would be lucky to get work cleaning up after the French bell's dog. And even when, even when he needed pampers, it just didn't add up. Sorry, even then he'd need papers. It just didn't add up. Nothing we said was of any help to the Moroccan student. A dead man with long hair supposedly living with her father. A leg of lamb served with palm fronds and chocolate. Equally confused and disgusted, she shrugged her massive shoulders and turned her attention back to the comic book she kept hidden beneath her binder. I wondered then if, with the language barrier, my classmates and I could have done a better job making sense of Christianity, an idea that sounds pretty far-fetched to begin with. In communicating any religious belief, the upper... The operative word is faith, a concept illustrated by our very presence in that classroom. Why bother struggling with the grammar lessons of a six-year-old if each of us didn't believe in that, against all reason? We might eventually improve. If I could hope to one day carry on a fluent conversation, it would be a relatively short leap to be believing that a rabbit might visit my home in the middle of the night, leaving behind a handful of chocolate kisses and a carton of menthol cigarettes. So why stop there? If I could believe in myself, then why not give other improbabilities to the benefit of doubt. I told myself that despite her past behaviour, my teacher was a kind and loving person who had my best interests at heart. I accepted the idea that an omniscient, omniscient, 
omniscient God had cast me in his own image, and that he watched over me and guided me from one place to the next. The virgin birth, the resurrection, and the countless miracles, my heart expanded to encompass all of the wonders and possibilities of the universe. A bell, though, that's just fucked up. I just checked and we've got 13 chapters left. We're getting towards the end. We're about two thirds of the way through, maybe a bit more. Um, but I can just sense it's getting really good because I'm remembering that excerpt hasn't come up just yet that I first heard on This American Life that I cracked up laughing over. So plenty to look forward to. Love you loads, Mum.